Good morning. My name is Chris Lindbergh. I'm one of the pastors here at Community Covenant. My wife and I, um, we've been coming to church here for a little over three years now. Um, and and um, we just love being a part of this community. We love being a part of a community that is seeking after God's heart, that is longing for the direction of God's spirit, and more so in this time that we find ourselves in transition, where we're looking forward to a future where we're uncertain as to where our church is gonna be. Um, I just wanted to say that, that we're so blessed to be a part of this community. We're so blessed by the stories that come through this community. And there's, a, there's an excitement for us moving forward um, to see what God does with this church. Amen? Amen. So um, this morning, the title of this morning's sermon is called An Appetite for Righteousness. It's called An Appetite for Righteousness. Now, I mentioned my family a little while ago, and for those of you that do not know, my wife Renee and I, we have five growing boys with five growing appetites, ranging from three and a half years of age all the way up to 14. So as you can imagine, when we see the word appetite, or our perspective on the word appetite, is pretty unique. The way that these boys throw down food, the way that these boys eat, we're reminded of it day after day, week after week, especially when we look at our grocery bills. It's just nuts. It's absolutely crazy. Um, I will say, I'll, I'll say this, that, that um, I will have seen more pancakes consumed at my kitchen table than probably all of you put together combined in your lifetime. It's crazy. The amount of pancakes that my boys can eat is absolutely insane, but it's good. It's, it's, um, they have appetites. They're getting what they need. They're eating, right? So what we're going to find out um, this morning, or what we're going to look into this morning, is that just as food and water, and in, in, in our case, pancakes, are essential for physical life, the Bible says that righteousness is essential for our spiritual life. An appetite for righteousness is essential for our spiritual life and for our spiritual growth. So real quick before we jump in, by way of review, um, we're in a series called Read the Red. This is a series that looks at the Beatitudes, which are the teachings of Jesus and what Jesus is teaching his disciples at this time and what he's teaching us at this time is how to live for God's kingdom while we're living in the world. So the Beatitudes are instruction on how we enter into God's kingdom here on earth because that's, that's where we find ourselves, God, God's kingdom here on earth. Um, Greg, Greg um, taught us the first week how, how God's kingdom is here. It's what we call the already, but it's also to come. It's gonna be fully consummated when Christ returns. It, it came to earth through the person of Jesus Christ, the death, the resurrection, of Jesus Christ established God's kingdom here on earth, but it's not gonna be fully consummated until Christ returns, and it's in this gap right here. We are here. This is where we're living. God's kingdom is already, but it's not yet. And what we find, what the Beatitudes make clear, is that the kingdom of God is counterintuitive to the world. It doesn't add up. What works in the kingdom of God, what makes sense in the kingdom of God, doesn't make sense in the world, 
and vice versa. What makes sense in the world just doesn't jive with the kingdom of God. So each one of these beatitudes is pointing that out. And each one of these beatitudes is showing us how to enter into God's kingdom. And we saw the first week, it starts with being poor in spirit. And being poor in spirit is owning our sense of our own sense of spiritual bankruptcy where we, we realize there's no good in us. We are spiritually bankrupt. We're spiritually poor. There's no good within us. And what I love about this graphic is that it shows how one beatitude is really a logical response from the one before. So it starts with being poor in spirit. Where does that lead us? How do we respond to this fact that there's nothing good in us? Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. From that, there's a sense of mourning over the fact that we're hopeless in our own strength to do anything about our spiritual bankruptcy. We mourn the fact that we can't do anything about our spiritual bankruptcy. Where does that lead? That leads to meekness. Meekness is an honest look at ourselves in light of our poor spirit and sorrowful over our sinful state. Any sense of pride, strength, or belief that we can do anything to help ourselves is surrendered. So that state of meekness is realizing we're poor in spirit, mourning over the fact, and then being brought to our knees and surrendering and saying, all right, I, I can't do anything about this. What do I do with this? Where do I go from here? This is where it gets exciting. This is why I'm excited for this morning, is that when you follow this graphic, you'll see that at a hunger and thirst for righteousness is where everything starts to turn. So this is all positively moving us into God's kingdom, starting with being poor in spirit. There's positive movement here, but up until this point, there's been this sort of negative feeling to it. The negative, not negative being bad, but that negative being the emptying. We're emptying ourselves, emptying ourselves, being brought to our knees. And now, at the fourth beatitude is where things start to shift. Things start to look a little more hopeful. There's deliverance from this empty feeling that we're feeling. There's this deliverance from this emptiness that we're feeling. And you'll see that from here, the whole thing shifts. So what I'd like to do is take a moment now. We're going to read through all of the Beatitudes. And then we're going to get into the fourth Beatitude. We're going to read from Matthew 5. Um, in, your, in the Bibles in your seats, it's on page 802. But I'm actually going to start right from verse 1. So Matthew chapter five reads, verse one, seeing the crowds, he, meaning Jesus, went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and he taught them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you 
falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for your word. We're thankful for your Holy Spirit. It allows us to see your word differently than the world sees it. So I pray now that as we spend this time together learning and growing together, Lord, that you reveal your character and your promise to us. I pray that you give us hearts that are willing to receive it, hearts that are willing to be changed and transformed by the power of your written word and by the power of your Holy Spirit. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus, who makes all of these things possible. We pray these things in the mighty power of his name. Amen. Amen. So Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Now as I consider this verse, here's what I, I believe that this text is saying. Is that an appetite for righteousness is a desire to align our lives with who God is and all that he is doing while being guided by the movement and the power of the Holy Spirit. This is an appetite for righteousness. There's four things that I want to look at this morning when considering an appetite for righteousness. And the first one is this. Every human being has a spiritual appetite. Some writers call this a God-shaped hole in our lives. Every human being created by God has a God-shaped hole in their lives. There's a couple quotes here. People kind of saying the same thing. St. Augustine wrote that you have made us for yourself, O God, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. There's a tension. Our hearts are restless until we find our rest in God. C.S. Lewis says, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, I love this, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Exactly, we were made for God's kingdom. That's that tension that we feel. And lastly, Psalm 42, verse two says, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? There's this longing. When will that God-shaped hole in my life be filled, be satisfied? When can I feel that? When can I experience you? When can I know you with that level of intimacy? I feel that verse as I read it. Here's, here's where I want to take this, this thought, though, is, is that the verse does not read, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for happiness. It doesn't read that. It says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Martin Lloyd-Jones has a great, it's a thick book, but it's a great book on the Beatitudes. And what he points out in this verse particularly is that the Greek word for blessed in the Beatitudes is this word here, makarios, well-off, blessed, happy. I am not, I don't know Greek, okay? Let me just throw that out there. I do not know Greek, but I know Google. And Google is super helpful. So you always, and you always wanna consider your source, but there are some great Greek 
lexicons that, out there that, that'll give you translations of these words, and I promise you that our language does not do that language justice. So when you mine these things out, it's just so cool what you find, and that's what uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones found when he dug into this verse, is that the, the word blessed can be translated as happy. So the verse doesn't read, happy are those who hunger and thirst for happiness. Hungering and thirsting for happiness, I think, is something that we can all relate to. I know it's something that I can relate to. And I could, in typical pastor form, I could stand up here and I could say, you know, don't, don't hunger and thirst after sex or alcohol or drugs or money or success. We've heard it a million times. Those are the obvious ones. But what if we, what if we kind of peeled back the onion one more layer and we started looking at social media interactions? How many times do we post something on social media and then we spend the rest of the day whipping out our phone to see who liked it, who commented on it? How does that, how does, does that satisfy something in us? Is that, are we filling the gap in with some sort of satisfaction, some sort of fulfillment, some sort of happiness when we interact in that way? Here's another one. What about our kids? For those of us that have kids, what about kids? how easy it is to, to attach happiness to the success of our kids. I have five boys, four of them play soccer. On average, this time of year, we're going to about seven soccer games a weekend. It's crazy, but it's only for a short time. <clears throat> Excuse me. But um, these are beautiful things that God has given us to enjoy, but they're not things that we attach happiness to. The verse reads that happy is the person who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. These are all good things. But let me tell you this. These, this second layer stuff is right where the devil wants us to exist. All day, if we want to call out sex and drugs and alcohol and all the obvious ones, and we want, want to just hang them on the wall and say, those are bad things. Let's be all in agreement that those are bad things. That's fine. He'll give those to us. He'll let us see those things. He'll let us call out those things. But the way the devil operates is he deceives. And so it's these other things that although they may seem good, we have to be sure that we're not replacing them with righteousness because he'll let us live on that layer all day. He's fine with that. You wanna call out the big ones, that's fine. But you wanna get deceived into thinking that your happiness is found in social media responses or your happiness is found in how well your kids are doing He'll let you live in that realm all you want. Here's another one. What about volunteerism? And then even one layer below that, what about volunteerism at church? That's a tricky one. If we're looking to feel happy and satisfied because of all that we are doing for the church, then that's an empty pursuit and it's gonna produce an empty brokenness. Because we've, we've said it before from this platform, we've said, we've said you give us time and, and we'll let you down as a church because we're just full of broken people. So that pursuit of broken happiness, that pursuit of, 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 of happiness, of, of some sort of validation, that's just always gonna come up empty. So we have to be careful because the devil uses these things that seem good and they sound good and they look good and maybe they feel good but they're not the bad ones 
But if we're, we're replacing righteousness, if we're making that our pursuit rather than righteousness, then he's gonna let us exist in that all day. And I know for myself, I'm, I'm speaking to myself in these moments. I need to catch these moments. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17, it says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, that's the one that gets me, the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for you will be satisfied. Whoever does the will of God abides forever. So that leads to the second point. Only God can satisfy this appetite. Only God can fill a God-shaped hole, a God-shaped emptiness in our souls. Only God. Now, real quick, when we look at the word righteousness in this verse, the word righteousness is different than what theologians call justification. So what justification is, is knowing that we are justified before God, knowing that we have been made righteous before God. The life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Bible says, allows us, gains us access, grants us access. That gracious act grants us access before God to be made righteous. That's called justification, righteousness. We have been made righteousness through, we have been made righteous through Jesus Christ. What this verse, the word righteousness in this verse is something different. It's another Greek word that I'm not even gonna try and pronounce, but it's more than justification. And it says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it does say that for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's a different kind of righteousness than this next word. This next word, which I said I'm not gonna even try and pronounce. We can do our best at it, but I know the definition of it. And the word righteousness in Matthew 5, 6 talks about the act of doing what is in agreement with God's standards, the state of being and the proper relationship with God. So righteousness in Matthew 5, 6 is different than the righteousness we talk about in justification. Righteousness in Matthew 5, 6 talks about movement. There's a movement here. There's an alignment here. The act of doing what is in agreement with the standards of God. You go back to that big idea that I shared earlier. An appetite for righteousness is a desire to align our lives with who God is and all that he is doing. It's a desire to align our lives with who God is and all that he is doing. There's a movement there while being guided by the movement and power of the Holy Spirit. Psalm 63.1 says, You, God, are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. I seek you. I'm looking for you. There's movement there. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I feel this verse when I read it. That dry and parched land where there's no water. There's empty satisfaction found here. The world is different than your kingdom. There's emptiness here. It's always going to come up void. It's not going to satisfy. I long for you. There's movement there. I want to be near you. I want to be closer to you. I seek you. So that leads into the third point, which is our appetite 
is fueled by the power of the Holy Spirit. There's, we are poor in spirit. There's no good in us. There's nothing that we can do about it. But we have an appetite towards righteousness. And that appetite, praise God, is not dependent on how much I can be righteousness. Righteous. Not, not dependent on how much I can be righteous. But the Bible says that God gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we're able to move into righteousness. We're able to be fueled by God's Spirit. Dallas Willard had a great quote um, that I read over the past couple weeks at some point in my study. and, And it says this, grace is opposed to earning, but not to effort. Grace is opposed to earning, but it's not opposed to effort. In other words, the, the conversation of grace and earning can't, the, those two words can't exist in the same conversation. I can't give you something for free and then accept payment for it. It just doesn't work that way. But he reminds us that grace isn't opposed to effort. There's movement there. There's an invitation. There's an opportunity to join. And we have to respond to that. We have to respond to that opportunity. An appetite for righteousness is made possible by the power of the Holy Spirit. As we walk with God in step with the Spirit, we are emptied of any sense of our own abilities and empowered to step into his kingdom, to step into his mission here on earth. How do we do that? Read Galatians 5, 25. Simple. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. That's how we respond. We keep in step with the Spirit. Guilty. I do not wake up. It's not in the forefront of my mind whether I'm in step with the Spirit in everything that I do. I tell my boys this all the time, how life is going to be just a series of choices, one after the other after the other. And I'm convinced that these choices are always head in one of two directions, either towards God or away from God. There's no neutral. Life is just a series of choices. Series of choices, one after the other. And what Paul writes about is the idea of choosing to be in step with the Spirit. That's not at the forefront of my mind, not half as much as I want it to be. We have a power that we've been given Respond to that. Respond to that invitation. Make it your life's purpose to be in step with the... What if, what if we were a church where after we say, how are you doing? Or maybe even instead of we say, how are you doing today? If we walk up, we're, we're able to walk up to another and say, are you walking by the Spirit? How is your walk with the Spirit? That's what this is talking about. How is your walk with the Spirit? Are you aligned with what God's doing? What if we were a church where we could walk up to one another and we could say, hey, what is your spiritual gift and how are you using that for God's kingdom? Not just in our church, but in your community. How are you using that for the kingdom? What if we were a church where we could just respond to that? As God's gifted us with talents and abilities, as God's empowered us by his spirit, I would encourage you to respond to that. We've been given a gift. We've been given a guide I think of, when I think of the Holy Spirit, I think of kind of like a three-legged race. You remember those? 
a three-legged race, like being, being attached to somebody else and learning how to walk in stride, learning, how to, learning how, to, how to move in stride with that person. Yeah, it, takes, it may take a little time and it may take a little bit of bumbling and it may, may take a little bit, bumbling, is that even a word? I'm not even sure. But uh, it may take a little bit of practice. It always does with those three-legged races, right? It may take a little bit of practice. But that's what God's inviting us into, is to align ourselves with the Spirit of God. I want to be a church where we can walk up to one another and say, hey, are you in step with the Spirit? And we'll know what that means. From this moment forward, we'll know what that means. Are you in step with the Spirit? But then even more than that, to be a church where someone can respond and say, I'm not. I'm out of sync. Be willing to admit that. I'm out of sync. Something happened this past week. I'm out of sync. Will you meet with me? Will you pray with me? Can we grab a cup of coffee? Let's encourage one another to walk in the spirit. A hunger and thirst for righteousness is only fueled by the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to be a church that is aware of that. I do not think about, I do not talk about the person of the Holy Spirit half as much as I want to, half as much as I should. We need to be a church where that is normal conversation because the Holy Spirit is alive in us and empowering us. It can't be something that I'm just leaning on. It can't be something that we're just leaning on. It can't be something that we just acknowledge and we say, yeah, it's good it's there. I love the idea. That's great. But then we just stand still. There's movement. And entering into God's kingdom requires that movement, a hunger and a thirst for righteousness empowered by the Holy Spirit. So the last, number four, and this to me was the best part. This was the moment where in my study, I was just brought to my knees in worship, really. It was just worship. Because number four says that God gives us more than we need. God gives us more than we need. When we hunger and thirst for righteousness, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. That's the promise. We will be satisfied. But take a look at this. The word there for satisfied is this word here. Cortazo, I think is how it's pronounced. It says to fill, to satisfy. Look at this. It says to fatten. This word was used when talked about animals, feeding animals. If you dig it up in the Greek, it was used in talking about feeding animals. And the idea was to be fattened. And when I read that, I said, praise God because that's the promise. That's what he's saying. He's saying, you align yourself with who I am. You, align, you get in step with the spirit of who I am. You get on mission to be a part of what I'm doing, to be a part of what I'm about. You hunger and you thirst for that. You long for that. That's the promise. You want righteousness. I will give you righteousness. I'll give you more righteousness than you asked for, maybe even more righteousness than you thought I was capable of. I will do so much more than you can imagine with that. And it comes from this emptying. It comes from this vulnerability. It comes from this surrender. But the promise is true. The promise is that when we hunger and we thirst, he's gonna give us more than we know what to do with. Like sign me up. 
sign me up for that. As soon as I read that, I thought, man, every, I'm, I'm, I'm there. I want to be in step. Like, I'm, that's, if that's, that's where this has taken me, I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that mission. God gives us more, more than we could ever imagine. Hunger and thirst leads to abundance. We're going from starvation to fullness. We're going from starvation to fullness. We're emptying ourselves before God. And right as the Beatitudes take this turning point, take this shift, he says, all right, now that you're hungry, he doesn't say I'm just gonna give you enough. I'll give you enough to get by. He doesn't say that. He says, let me fill you because I can fill you. The fruit of that. I wanna be someone who sees, who participates in the fruit of that. Sign me up. As a church, I can sense it. We, we want, where we're moving to, we wanna be a part of that mission. We wanna see God do what only God can do. And he promises that he will do it. He will do it. But it starts there with a hunger and a thirst for righteousness, to be aligned with who God is and with what he's doing. John 10.10 says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That thief we talked about, that's working really hard to deceive us into thinking that we have this sense of happiness or fullness, when really we don't. He says, I came, Jesus came, that they may have life and have it abundantly. That's what this is talking about, satisfied, abundance. He's not just, he's not just waiting to give us enough life to get by. It's gonna, it's gonna, he's gonna overstuff us and it's gonna overflow into other people's lives, into our community, into our church, into our friends, into our family. He's gonna give us more than enough. And you, you have to be on guard because that, that thief that comes to kill and destroy, if this, if this is what God's kingdom is about, then completely opposite of that is what the devil's gonna be about. He's gonna look for ways to just break that down. All the more reason to intentionally be in step and in stride with the person of the Holy Spirit. I pray that we can do that, church, that we can become a church that is so tuned into the Spirit of God and so tuned into that movement that we, get, that we can join in in all that God is doing. Now, I know that, that um, some people here this morning may be hearing this for the first time, this idea, maybe that idea of justification before God is something new. Maybe it's something that, that some of you have heard before and you just needed a reminder of it. Maybe this idea of hungering and thirsting for righteousness, maybe that's something new. Maybe it's something you needed to be reminded of. But there's a response now. Considering these things, there's a response. There's a movement, not only in, of worship, but a movement an invitation, an opportunity for us to, to get in stride with who God is, to align ourselves with all that he's doing. And that's my prayer for each one of you, that this is an encouragement, that, this, that we see that the, the teaching of the beatitude starts to shift. And sorry, now that you're empty, now that I've brought you to your knees, let me fill you up. I will help you. I have more than enough. 
me fill you so that you're satisfied. Look, I wanted to, to end with this verse from Isaiah 55, verses one and two. This is, this is Isaiah, so this is middle of the Old Testament stuff. This is way before Jesus even said these words in the Beatitudes, way before the Beatitudes. This is the prophet Isaiah saying, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. If you have no money, come buy, eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? I need to hear that. I need to hear that. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Why do you hunger and thirst for those things that will not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich, rich food. That's the invitation. Respond to that in this moment. If this is something that you've heard for the first time, find the person that you came here with. Find someone who's been up on the platform this morning. Talk to them. Talk to me. Talk to someone at the desk outside. But respond to that invitation. It's a life-changing invitation. The, the good news of the gospel, the good news of the gospel is that we no longer have to hunger and thirst for things that we already know will not satisfy. But God freely gives us more than enough of what we desire when we hunger and thirst for his righteousness. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.